Hi friends, welcome to the Artist Blend. Today, we are going to be talking about stop motion animation. So grab your mug, and let's get talking. So today we are going to delve into the world of stop motion animation. Uh, we both love oh um, claymation things specifically. Um, mm-hmm. The ones we grew up on, they, it was like Wallace and Gromit, Curse the Were-Rabbit for me mm-hmm. was a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously Nightmare that was Before my Christmas. Was, yeah. A, a lot of people realize and think that Nightmare Before Christmas was first. Um, oh, not even first, but like that's what they associate yeah. with claymation. But for me, it is Wallace and Gromit. And uh, as you listening, we'll find out there's so much more. Oh my gosh, there's so um, much more. But to take two seconds, we're going to talk about the coffee that we're drinking today. It is from Crema Coffee Roasters, which is here in Nashville, Tennessee. We are drinking their Tres Banderas um, blend, which is a blend of three seasonal coffees with a rich chocolatey body complemented with stone fruit and sweet caramel notes. Um, very nice people uh, located pretty much downtown it's not directly downtown but um and we'll give you our thoughts afterwards but we got a lot to talk about because this is a very deep subject yes like wells <laughs> so the way we're going to talk about this is each of us has sort of prepared like um a section of the topic so austin has spent some time looking at um sort of the history and how it's made and sort of the beginnings of it up mm-hmm. until the like 1980s like early yeah. 80s um yeah. which is when I have some stuff on like the middle range of, of claymation as far as um like uh the eye of culture. And so in the eighties to nineties, like the big ones you think of. Um and then um we both talk a little bit about some current ones from like the two thousand tens, I guess. Um because that sort of uh middle range kind of leaks into the the O's. But yes. yeah, then we'll both talk about the tens. And then sort of where it's going. But that's sort of the yep. structure of it. So what he's talking about, yeah. I haven't looked at. And what I'm talking about later, he doesn't know about. So Correct. Um, if it crosses over, just know that we're we're doing our own research. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to begin, this is, we're going to kind of give you the introduction of where claymation slash stop motion uh, began. Um, not necessarily at the same time, but a lot of it correlates. Mm-hmm. So we'll do that. Um, But the process of making claymation movies is pretty similar to stop-motion animation. Uh, The main difference mostly comes down to what your characters and sets are made of. Uh, Stop-motion animation is a filmmaking technique in which objects are physically moved in small increments and captured one frame at a time so that when played back, it will give the illusion of motion. Um, But if one thinks... uh, This was a great example for me. If one thinks of a flipbook, stop-motion is similar, only it uses physical objects instead of drawings. So in uh, 1897, this was when oil-based modeling clay, known as plasticine, uh, was created. Plasticine would go on to become the standard claymation clay used for most films, um, but this was also around the time cell animation was beginning to develop. For, and yeah. for decades, claymation remained on the fringes of the animation movement. Now, to give people some history and context, the first feature-length film to be made out of cell animation was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in mm-hmm. 1937. It would take over 60 years for the first claymation movie, uh, Chicken Run, which came out in 2000, to even be made. Wait, that was the first, like, That was the first full length. So when they, they, they considered it the first full length, 
um, as in like over 90 minutes, I guess. Okay. Um, because like in short fi- short films, like 12, 13 minutes or 30 minutes were considered films, but featured film because, huh. uh, and um, I found in research that they were talking about the difficulties in trying to figure out how to keep people's attention for more than 30 minutes with clay claymation animation. Um, so uh, in the research I found, they were saying that it was the first full length uh, okay. Yeah, because Nightmare Before Christmas is an hour 16, so I guess they mm-hmm. count it as 90 minutes. Interesting. Yes. Yep. Cell animation and Hollywood cartoon uh, became the dominant form because it's better. Hollywood prefers it <laughs> because it keeps costs down. That's all. Yeah. Uh, but the first claymation animation film that survived is called The Sculpture's Nightmare, and it was from 1908. Uh, it's a short film that follows members of a political club arguing about who will replace Theodore Roosevelt as president and who needs to be up next. The short film combines elements of live action and claymation, which I found huh. interesting. But uh, the claymation part starts around the six-minute mark, and it can be viewed through the Library of Congress if you're interested. Oh, my gosh. That'll That's be in the so show cool. notes, right? Um, but even even the choppiness of the old film matches the claymation, so it's still kind of cool to watch. Wow. Yeah, a short film that fully utilizes claymation is more along the lines of 1926 Long Live the Bull from Joseph Sun. It tells the story of a young man willing to fight a bull to impress and win over his beloved. Now, it is full claymation the entire time, but it's and, only around, I think it was like 13 to 14 minutes long. Um, but even still, it's it's the first short film. Yeah. Um, and then we have, in 1955, we have Gumby and Pokey. And the world would be introduced to Gumby, a clay-animated humanoid figure who would spawn a couple films and even a video game. <laughs> I was uh, I was never a Gumby kid. Me, I, neither was I. I saw which like is the fine. toy, yeah, and in like toy stores, but I mm-hmm. never knew what Gumby was. The only thing I know Gumby from is from those little plastic toy containers that I would see yep. him in. But like, I didn't care exactly. about Gumby at all. It it was a it was a movement that may have been just before our time, but yeah. it led to what we know. So go True. Gumby. Uh, <laughs> but he was a brightly modeled and the first of his kind. Gummy was created in 1953 by stop motion claymation master Art Coakley, or uh, Cloakey, excuse me. A green humanoid character, Gumby, was modeled with kids in mind. He taught moral values and lessons as he hopped through time with his sidekick, Pokey, um, and battled his nemesis, the Blockheads, which that's just funny to me. Uh, most of the characters took cube form to allow the stop motion modelers to stand them up for long periods of time, which I found interesting. Because, um, I don't know, we'll get into it later, but they made it easy by making them blocks. But then <laughs> when we get to where we're going, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and then in 1972, we have Ardman Animation was founded, which created clay-based segments for television shows. Everyone knows the delightful Wallace and Gromit. If you don't, go look it up. It's amazing. It's hysterical. It's a little bit of British comedy, but you'll love it. <laughs> I love British comedy. It I do supreme. too. So much good. Uh, if you haven't watched their day out capers and cheered for them to bring cheese back from the moon, then you haven't experienced claymation. Uh, <laughs> in 1989, their big break came with the release of A Grand Day Out, animated by Arvin's Nick Park. A lovable short with buckets of charm, it was an instant success and established claymation, clay animation excuse me, as a serious format for film. Equally beloved classic follows The Wrong Trouser, A Close Shave, and in 2005, a sweetly spooky <laughs> The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Alongside the Winsleydale loving duo, Nick Park also created Creature Comforts, which I, which I had never heard about. But it, it's a TV series that uh, follows 
zoo animals and nature animals on discovering moral issues and just like day-to-day problems. So a kid's kid's segment, but still really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000, this is going to be a slight, uh, slight crossover, but not much. Uh, Nick Park and Peter Lloyd directed the comical escapade Chicken Run. Uh, the film was a box office smash and was Arman's animation's first full-length claymation film, uh, boasting all the charm of Wallace and Gromit, and with years of stop-motion experience behind it, Chicken Run became the highest-grossing claymation film of all time, earning wow. a staggering $224 million. Oh, my God. Right? For clay. I remember <laughs> the, like, I think they had McDonald's toys for that one. I remember uh, it was, like, on all, like, the the DVD trailers and, mm-hmm. like, the coming soon to a theater mm-hmm. near you. Like, oh, it was, I, everything was Chicken Run. That's nostalgia for me. Um, and to get the film finished, it took 30 sets, 80 animators, and a team of 180 people with one minute of filming completed per week. That's claymation dedication. Yes. So one minute wow. of the entire film was a whole week. I think for Nightmare, the stat was like th- two minutes per week. I think three minutes, something like that. I don't know. Sub- it wasn't a minute. No, but wow. still, it gets it gets more and more. But from here, there's been no stopping clay animation with new films and shorts springing up all the time from animation studios across the globe. Um, there were many that I would see that would be from uh, different countries, different languages. So it it was a lot of TV series for a long time, and then Chicken Run kind of sparked the film full film industry for it the one tidbit i have from uh the the history that i found interesting was uh anybody who knows the christmas special of rudolph the redness reindeer or any of those old uh red rink uh rinkin rinkin and bass i believe is how you say it studios they are not claymation so technically it is what's considered puppet animation but it's called uh, stop motion, but it is in the stop motion category. Um, but okay. it was all made of puppets and uh, felt felt type material. It's not clay at all. And they termed hmm. the term animagic is how they were calling their huh. creatures and create characters, which I found interesting. That's funny. That's very Disney. <laughs> I know, right? Really, really quickly, I will touch on the styles of... Um, both uh, stop motion and of claymation. So with stop motion, you have stereoscopic stop motion, which uh, is main example is in tune with tomorrow uh, films called in tune with tomorrow, the adventures of space, Sam (laughs) and go motion, which is uh, Robocop and the empire straight back. Okay. Stereoscopic is using the characters and then go motion is actually using a machine to move the characters oh, itself interesting so um any any type kind of like how disney animatronics are now <laughs> it's using a machine to to move them around in real real time um then that was for stop motion films but claymation styles uh there are one two three four there are four styles of claymation so you have freeform which is clay clay animation is an informal term referring to the process in which the shape of the clay changes radically as the animation progresses. Uh, I would I would say that's sort of Gumby based mm-hmm. off the videos that I uh, have seen and can recall. Mm-hmm. Then you have Stratacut animation, which a long bread-like loaf of clay internally packed tight and loaded with varying imagery is sliced into thin sheets with the camera taking a frame of the end of the loaf for each cut, huh. eventually revealing the movement of the internal images. I think that's closer to a flip book, yeah. but also it makes me think of baking because if you like, do you check do checkered cakes or anything like that? So it's 
pretty interesting. That's really cool. Um, one that blurs the distinction between stop motion and traditional flat animation is called clay painting. Uh, it also is a variation of direct manipulation animation process, wherein clay is placed on a flat surface and moved like wet oil paints, Same. as on a traditional artist canvas, to produce any style of images, but with clay look to them. Um, the best thing I could probably think of is like uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night, mm-hmm. but if it moved, I, th- I think that would be an interesting thing. Yeah. And then you have clay melting, which I know you're going to get to, Easton. <laughs> Uh, but clay melting is any kind of heat source that can be applied on or near or below clay to cause it to melt while animation cameras on time-lapse eh. setting slowly films process. So these are all like clay clay animation stuff, but not like stop motion, but it's like clay. No, these are all specific to clay. Uh, so this is, okay, okay, like okay. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting when you hear about it and where it's been or where it's come from to what we see now. Um, yeah. But there's one term that, if we use it or you're reading, is called the hot set, and it is used amongst animators during production. It refers to basically the set where the animator is filming. The clay characters are set in a perfect position where they can continue shooting where they left off. If animators calls his set a hot set, then no one is allowed to touch the set, or else the shoot <laughs> would be ruined. Certain scenes wow. may be shot rather quickly. If a scene is left unfinished, the weather, uh, whether it's humid or there's dust, they they have to start over. And they may the puppets may come become deformed, or there's a small difference, and the shots have to eh. be redone. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Don't touch yeah. anything. <laughs> to avoid these disasters, scenes normally have to be shot in one day. Yeah, that's crazy. I'd never considered like you if. The the peep the person in charge of the AC unit has to be paid incredibly well. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Um, there's a video that we'll put in the show. There's a, a link to a video in the show notes of behind the scenes, and even the lights are permanently as fixed where they need to be for the shot. Because if it gets bumped or anything like that, it like completely mm. ruins anything. So it's crazy. That is crazy. But with that, let's go into the middle middle range of 80s and 90s. Yeah. What you got, Easton? Okay, so now going into um, sort of, I I feel like this is sort of like the renaissance of stop motion. I would agree. Um, you have these things like, um, obviously like the, the the Rankin Bass specials and stuff like that, where uh, it was certainly appreciated and enjoyed, but also like now we're getting into the the time where it really flourishes in the commercial yep. market. Yeah. Um. So starting with, uh. <laughs> Going back, I I feel like stop motion and Tim Burton are used almost interchangeably now. Like everybody oh, yes. thinks of Tim Burton when they think of the big claymation mm-hmm. stories and um, movies that have, have done well. So going back, this is Tim Burton's first um, big project, I guess. It was called. Uh, it's a short film called Vincent. It was it- in, uh, released in 1982. So Tim Burton was a concept artist at Walt Disney Productions. Um, he worked on some concept art for Fox and the Hound, hmm. for Tron, for Black Cauldron, and his art never made it into those films. Hmm. Um, and so some management was like, you know what, you're super talented, we we recognize that, and we feel like you deserve a chance to create something of your own. And so they let him have a little budget, and they let him make a short film. And he shot it, uh, so Vincent, when you think of Tim Burton, it's very much in that style. Um, it was shot in black and white. 
and it was in, also shot in the style of a lot of the German expressionist films of the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very dark, very odd, and um, it was never actually released in um, in any sort of like big public way. I think I think it was in it was shown as a preview to a movie like in a couple theaters in the LA area, but beyond that, it was never released fully um they have it exists now like you can find it online but as far as like a theatrical release it didn't really get any special treatment it was very much a fringe project for the studio um but this was the beginning for tim and for his style so this really was um how he begun to establish um who he was as a filmmaker <laughs> so um just before that was indiana jones uh hey. raiders of the lost ark in 1981 and i was gonna say like yes i was gonna go into the the clay moment where their faces melt but i found out that that wasn't stop motion at all i i thought that it was clay stop motion but it's just time lapse um which is cool literally just melting clay which is fantastic so it didn't really count for stop motion so i kind of just skipped over that but i thought it was worth mentioning because i always thought of it as a claymation yeah it really does um okay so now the skipping a while to the next big milestone, um, subjectively, of course, um, <laughs> The Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. in 1993. Mm-hmm. So this was the first in the series of modern-age stop-motion animated films um, marketed in a big way. Yep. And uh, this was also Henry Selleck's first film ever as a director. I He'd remember that. He worked on lots of things before, but this was his first um, time directing a film, which I was like, wow, what a way to start out. Sorry. Ne- <laughs> I don't know if you're ever going to live up to, to your expectation <laughs> that you said, but there you go. Um, so here's a quote uh, from the director of photography, Pete Kosicic. Hey. And um, also Nightmare has, it's as big as it is. I know there's lots of facts that people already know. So I'm just going to kind of go into a, a very detailed thing and kind of skip yeah. over the big stuff. But yeah. Um, here's a quote from from the director of photography. He said, Although we were filming in color, black and white lighting techniques would prevail with hard light, separation of planes by contrast, shadows as graphic elements, and theatrical pools for dramatic emphasis. Color would be used for its emotional content and avoided mm. as a separating tool. I love that. Which I just adore, and I think that that's fantastic, and, and that's yeah. one of the big um, reasons why that movie works so well and it has the the aesthetic that it does is because of the intense um focus that they put on lighting techniques and mm-hmm. it really pays off because that film is is has such such an iconic look to it right and it's i mean really because of stop motion being what it is so much of that is i think attributed mm-hmm. to the lighting and obviously the sets and the design and the, and the style of the film itself mm-hmm. but i think one underappreciated aspect of that movie is the lighting techniques that were used. And yep. Pete had a lot to do with that. Um, yeah. yeah. So skipping along to uh, three years later, James, the giant peach was um, released in 1996. And one fascinating thing is that the budget was so <laughs> much larger for this than it was for nightmare, which is kind of silly to think about. Yeah. It is silly to think about because look at what's lasted the test of uh, test of time. Yeah. So Nightmare for Christmas had a budget, a total budget of less than $18 million. But James and the Giant Peach 
their marketing budget alone was $12.5 million. And I'm like, really? Did that pay off, Disney? No. <laughs> I think, I think, I wonder if this was them trying to just recreate the Probably. thing that worked. And they're like, oh, well, let's go down this road and make more money. At the time, they didn't own Nightmare. So this was yeah. their first thing. And then they bought Nightmare later on. Yeah. So. And I also feel like the reason that Nightmare is what it is and the reason it's so iconic is because mm-hmm. it's found a, an audience in a new generation of, of viewers. I feel yeah. like James just hasn't found that. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, if we were to go back to like the early 2000s, if people yep. would feel the same way about both of the films. But now just because there's been a, a new generation of Nightmare adorers, yeah. um, that that's why it feels like it resonates so much more than James. I, yep. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if... I I mean, I wasn't really conscious at that point. I was born in 99. I was so 94. If you so you were conscious at that point. I remember James and Giant Peach, and I watched it a couple times. But it, it yeah. has not stuck with me the way anything else has. Like, uh, chick- yeah. like Chicken Run that we're going getting to and Nightmare Before Christmas. I know it, but it's not and like it, a, oh, yes, I love this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if if you have any thoughts on that, or if like you were a James the Giant Peach kid, let us know. And you feel like they're both like if, if they received the same treatment, let us know because I'd be interested to know like what that was like at the time. Because yes. certainly now Nightmare is, has um, found a, a resurgence. Yeah. So a couple little fun facts about Peach. Um, so it was also a mix of of live action and stop motion, which I didn't realize because I've never seen the movie. But the scenes with the two evil ants were live action. It's at the very beginning, but even still. Okay, so um. Somebody who worked on the film was talking... I can't remember who this was. Their last name is Jessup, but I don't recall their first name. Um, But they were quoted as saying, The peach was a problem. It was made of a steel frame and foam, but weighed about 2,500 pounds and was supposed to roll down a hill. No, thank you. Practically. Um, They said, We had to barge it over to Treasure Island and bring in a structural engineer to help us out. And that was um, like a different... um, set area yeah, for the studio but still um yeah and so having a structural engineer to figure out how do we bring this peach over there and again consistency is key with this sort of thing so like if anything happens to it like start over i guess mm-hmm. um oh gosh and then so this is a quote from the visual effects producer nancy st john she said continuity is the key you have so many people touching each shot from animators to camera people with various sets and backgrounds. Everything must look identical or you have to reshoot, it, which again is something that you were touching on earlier. Yeah, but, but it's still, um, when to hear so many people talk about it, it doesn't come to our minds as the viewer because it's so yeah. clean in post. But th- mm-hmm. there's no telling. It's like if someone sneezes as they're moving an arm, well, you got to start over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is Chicken Run. Again, this was something that I was like, we know the things about Chicken Run. So I just found a fun little tidbit. So this is from a Screen Rant article. This is a direct quote from that article. Um, It was written by Christopher Fiducia. Um, But this is uh, from that Screen Rant article. Early on in the film, it is made clear that Ginger and Rocky have feelings for each other. Several times throughout the movie, the characters are about to kiss, but they're always interrupted. While it may just seem like a recurring joke in the film, there's actually a reason why the characters never kiss on screen. The animators at the film thought it would be off-putting to see two birds kissing on screen since they have beaks, which is why they went with a running gag instead. And by the end of the film, when they do actually kiss, the angle purposefully hides their beaks. Okay. And that's the end of the, the quote. But that makes sense. I was like, that's hilarious, and that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Like, if they're morphing beaks, like, that's <laughs> odd, and I don't want to see that, and that's I'm glad true. that they never actually animated that. 
So now moving into Elf, 2003. Mm. So um, here's there's some fun stuff in this. So I'm excited. Obviously, the the front of the film has the um, Rankin Bass style yeah. from the Christmas specials, like the original Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that's not really having to do with stop motion, but they they did proactively get permission from the OG um, Rudolph rights holders for Good. copying the elf costumes. Because literally, it is the exact yep. same costumes. That makes sense. And so, in, before they tried to make this whole film, they were yep. like, hey, can we do this? They got legal permission before they even did it, just because they were worried about getting sued. And they're like, let's just not worry about that overall and just go ahead and get permission before we even start. Makes sense. Um, so, John Favreau was one of the producers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this is a quote from Edward, who was one of the people who um, were like the the head creative mm, people yep. on this stop motion portion of the film. He said, while we were doing the project, John and Joe came to us one day and said that there was going to be a screening coming up, the first public screening of it. And the studio was a little nervous about how long the front of the movie was, the North Pole. They wanted to get Will's character into New York City as quickly as possible. So there was talk of cutting the North Pole sequence way down which would have eliminated all the stop-motion creatures. No. And the, the other guy says all the work that we did would have been cut out. And Edward says, so they wanted to rush the animation that we were producing to get it in the cut in time for the screening because <laughs> John knew that once the audience saw it, they'd respond to it and yeah. love it. He was really keen that it needed to set the tone of the movie. That was the linchpin. That was the hook. <laughs> so we busted our asses and accelerated the schedule, did that long shot of Will Ferrell and Leon the Snowman walking we did that in one take in a marathon shoot oh my gosh Teresa drilling the animator just busted her butt off to do that wow that's crazy crazy vocal health is incredibly important sometimes you get tired you get allergies you get overworked and your voice suffers which can really put a damper on your work as a singer actor or even public speaker vocal mist can help with that It's a portable nebulizer that uses an isotonic saline to make a cool mist that you inhale. It's been research proven to help the voice stay hydrated and working well. The Vocal Mist Portable Nebulizer is a fast and easy way to keep your vocal cords healthy, give you better vocal stamina, and can mitigate damage from overuse. I have one of my own that I absolutely love, and if you use your voice in your artistic endeavors, I can't recommend this enough. Use the affiliate link in the show notes and get your Vocal Mist Portable Nebulizer today. Um, okay, so now moving on to Wallace and Gromit and mm. the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, 2005. Oh, um, so, so two old. very quick little things. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so they... Here's an interesting thing. Yeah. This is when CGI was in its infancy and they were really exploring what to do with it. Yep. And so they used CGI for things like water, smoke, dust, dirt, and uh, Wallace's invention, the Mindomatic. Really? And yeah, so all of that was CGI. Oh my gosh. And so screenwriter Steve Box, uh, when being interviewed about the movie, said, Gone are the days of cotton wool on strings. Yes. And I think that those words were a bit. Uh, preemptive a little I yep. b- because now we're in this phase of going back to the, the the roots and the way things are and like films that are coming out now are going back to those things True. because they give it a nice quality mm-hmm. and even there's some other films that do use a combination of both CGI and the quote yep. cotton wool but um, I thought that was interesting that we the mindset was we're going to use CGI for everything we possibly can and now we're sort of at a place of how can we combine techniques exactly. to make it 
as interesting as possible. Use all the tools visually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to Coraline, mm-hmm. 2009. This was uh, a Hen- this might be one of my favorite movies yes. of all time. Um, it's so good. But this was Henry Selick again, uh, working with Leica, the production company, mm-hmm. which is now synonymous with new claymation or new stop motion releases. Mm-hmm. Um, so the puppets began with an armature designed to give them a full range of motion. They're mostly made out of um, ball and socket joints that were manufactured by a company in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And each of the puppets also had two heads, each with a different base expression to give animators a greater potential range of facial expression. <laughs> so not only did they have, like, the interchangeable mouthpieces, yep. the interchangeable eyebrows, but they also had yeah. two different bases altogether. Yep. So you could have even more um, options, That's which crazy. I thought was really cool. Um, and this is a quote from the puppet fabrication supervisor, <clears throat> Georgia Haynes. She said, Quote, we try to get as much into these mechanical heads as we possibly can, but without distorting the face so much. Because if you're not careful, you can over-animate these. We try to get the subtlety of movement in there as much as possible. Close quote. <laughs> so, her talking about, like, just over-animating uh, the heads. You can't put too many movements in there, because then it just looks, looks not yeah, human exactly. anymore. It loses um, the charm of stop like stop motion if you do too much, I, th- I feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then in 2009, we get Fantastic Mr. Fox. Which I have not which, seen, and I'm very sad about it. I know, I'm sorry. It's lovely. <laughs> it is It is like quintessential Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think the, the painstaking process of stop motion and the, um, the incredible attention to detail that's required for stop motion yeah. really lends itself to Wes Anderson's style. perfectionist yeah. style yeah. and aesthetic. Um, particularly, there... One one interesting aspect is that there's a scene where a bunch of characters are hiding behind wooden crates that are getting shot at yeah. by guns, and um, the bullets are busting through these wood crates and splintering wood everywhere. And somebody was was talking about it um, in an interview, and they were talking about how that that sequence is a beautiful departure from the rest of the film's clean cut look, yeah. and that somebody had to go in and intentionally make it look random which for Wes Anderson and his style is really not something that he does yeah. it's all clean cut beautiful pictures uh-huh. um, even if it is something like broken it's beautifully broken I love it but this wood sequence was had to look uh, disheveled yeah which wasn't something uh, mm. that was in the rest of the film at all crazy yeah if, if yeah. anybody's familiar with the Wes Anderson filters on TikTok that was going around you, you know what we mean yeah. by the perfectionist aesthetic that's oh, going yeah. on yeah, and and this is actually going back a few years, um, just because I I missed this one somehow. But Corpse Bride, mm. two thousand five. Yes. Uh, so this was four years earlier, but the last one I'll talk about this middle section. Um, so this was the first theatrical released movie that Tim Burton ever directed. Uh, um, a lot of people think that Tim was part of the directing co directing or something with Henry Selick. Nope, he it was just his his brain, his brainchild. Yep. But he did not direct the the film. Um. But Corpse Bride, Tim Burton directed alongside Mike Johnson. Uh-huh. They co-directed the production. Um, Mike was more um, moment-to-moment direction, and Tim was very much big-picture direction. Um, so th- this movie took only 55 weeks to film. That's crazy. Versus The Nightmare Before Christmas is three years. Insane. So this just shows how much um, the the style has moved along uh-huh. and been developed over the years. Um even since, what was it, 82? 80, no, 80, uh, 93. 93, 93 yeah. was Nightmare. Um, but yeah, so 
55 weeks versus three years. Crazy. So each puppet for Corpse Bride was roughly 11 inches tall and made of a stainless steel frame coated in silicone, mm. which that's sort of like par for the course. Most of these films were around like 9 to 12 inches tall yeah. and had some sort of frame coated in something. Mm-hmm. So this one was particularly stainless steel frame coated in silicone. Yeah. And um, also, yeah. this was really interesting. Corpse Bride was nominated for Best Animated Animated Feature at the Oscars, but it lost to Wallace and Gromit the Curse of the were rabbit wow. which were both stop-motion films, which I thought was really cool that there were two Up against huge each other, films yeah. that were competing against each other that both were stop-motion, which awesome. really shows how much this was um, a movement in the time, like the early 2000s. People were saying, look at Nightmare, look at James. True. We need to take advantage of, of this movement and stop-motion that's happening right now and, and Chicken Run. And yeah. Let's hop on this on this train, yeah. um, and the uh, Were Rabbit won best animated feature, Insane. which I didn't realize. Which is so cool. I love it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the Middle Ages. <laughs> um, so now we're gonna move on and really just kind of quickly touch on um, different uh, 2010s films mm-hmm. of stop motion mm-hmm. and just list them, list out like the some of the po- most popular ones and then a little tidbit. Yeah. So um, the first one. Marcel the Shell with Shoes <laughs> On, 2010. So, oh, so cute. this is this mm-hmm. is like a 2021 movie, mm-hmm. um, which I actually haven't seen, but Neither that's not what we're talking so. about. We're talking about the original YouTube shorts when YouTube was booming mm-hmm. in the in, in 2010. Oof. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On was this hilarious little YouTube short series um, <laughs> of this little shell that had shoes. I love and, it. And, and an eyeball, two eyeballs? Two, uh, one eyeball, one eyeball. One eyeball, yeah. googly eye. Googly anyway, eye. hilarious, so cute, so fun. But now it's a movie. I know it's crazy to think about. Um, and then we have Zero. It's an Australian short animated film from 2010, as well. Um, it was uh, Zero is born into a world of numbers, as opposed Zero discovers that through determination, courage, and love, <laughs> nothing can be truly something. Um, so it's kind of a basic storyline in a way, but the animation is really cool because in pictures and small videos that I saw, um, the character of Zero looks like he's made of straw versus like any, any other kind of material. And I was like, that's interesting. Everyone else, every other character seems to be made of clay. So kind of touching on that idea, but that's Zero. That's cool. Cool. And then in 2012, we had Frankenweenie, yeah. uh, another Tim Burton project. Uh, so Sparky, the dog, yeah. was the very first puppet to be designed for the film, and the scale for every other puppet and all of the sets were designed after him. Wow. Uh, because Tim Burton had a really specific vision <laughs> for Sparky, and because, I mean, the whole movie revolves around, around him, the dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he really wanted... Um, Sparky to act and move like a real dog. And so in four inches was literally the smallest that they could make Sparky and still have him display all the behavior and personality that was required. Any smaller and they wouldn't be able to animate him in the way that they wanted to. So they started with the dog and figured out the scale for the entire project around this four inch dog. My goodness. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, here's your movie in in four inches. (laughs) Ta-da. Yeah. Uh, In dog scale. (laughs) In dog scale versus human scale. Um, next we have Paranorman which was in 2012 Uh, it was the first stop motion film to use 3D color printer to create the characters faces and it's the only and it's only the second to be shot in 3D the first was actually Coraline Um, oh cool so that was kind of interesting to learn about because I've seen the movie and because of the style of clay animation and stop motion I didn't even think about it being in 3D because 
to me, yeah. the world is already 3D-esque in viewing. So it was crazy to be like, huh, that's what that is. Yeah, that's cool. Uh-huh. Uh, and then in 2014, we have Box Trolls, which I remember seeing ads for yes, all the time. Never like their marketing budget must have been great. This was another <laughs> Leica film. I, d- I didn't see it either. Yeah. Um, another Leica film. Um, so <laughs> there's a scene where there's like this mecha drill is what they call it. Um, and I, it's the big threat at the moment. But <laughs> there's there's a furnace in the mecha drill and there's flames coming out of the furnace. And the stop motion flames that were, quote, burning in the furnace of the mecha drill are actually coming from a working iPad that were just that it was displaying a loop video inside the the that's crazy drill thing. So they just mounted an iPad in there and just had a video <laughs> looping of fire, and that's what it was. It was the that's how they made that's the awesome. motion flames. I was like, I think that's cheating. It is cheating, but all right. It's kind of like the people at Christmas who just turn on the fireplace on the TV and be like, Ah, oh, yes, we have a fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, next, we have a film called Little from the Fish Shop in 2015. It's a Czech animated film. The film is loosely based on Hans Christian Andersen's story, The Little Mermaid. Huh. Uh, the story tells the tale of a fish king and his family who are forced to move from the sea and set up a fish shop. <laughs> the youngest daughter, Little, then falls in love with a human man. It uses puppets animated in stop motion, and it took 410 days to shoot. Oh, wow. Sis. That's crazy. Cool. Over a year. But even still faster than when what we've seen from the beginnings. Yeah. Um, so then in 2015, also the same year as Little from the Fish Shop, um, in yes. 2015 was maybe my favorite film, oh, uh, The Little too. Prince, the I Netflix the adaptation. Prince. It is beautiful. <laughs> if you've never seen it, just go see it. Your inner child yes. will thank you. It's beautiful. It is not just a retelling of the story. It has nope. A framing device for the original story, The Little Prince, the original book. Uh-huh. Um, but the framing device really is the narrative that we're following in this quote adaptation. It's it's less of an adaptation yeah. and more of a reimagining. Um, I love it, but yeah. it's beautiful and it uses hand drawn two D animation, CG animation, paper cutout animation, and stop motion animation. <laughs> so the aesthetic of this film is is both varied and unanimously uh cohesive it's 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 really distinct yep. because of how many different styles they use um it's crazy beautiful i have not seen <laughs> i've not appreciated imagery like this in maybe ever it is just be- yeah. it's a piece of art go watch that movie if you've not seen it <laughs> i love it uh next we have kubo and two strings in 2016 um, the art took inspiration from such Japanese media as ink washed painting and origami, among others. A particular influence came from the Yukioe w- uh, woodblock style with uh, uh, our favorite studio. Leica intending to make the entire film to look and feel as if a moving woodblock print. Hmm. End quote. The fascinating thing for me was that in the film, I haven't seen it, but in the film there's apparently a skeleton monster the team created. And it is a 16-foot, 400-pound puppet. Wow. And they are self-claiming it as a world record. But the fact that a 16-foot-long, 400-pound thing they had to move meticulously, inch by inch, to create wow. every motion is crazy to 16 think about. 16 feet. Right? I can't, even, I can't even fathom that. I would need to see it to believe it. That's, I mean, that is, if you go to Lowe's and get like a giant sheet yeah. of wood that's a 4 by 8 that's that it. That is two That's of it. those stacked on each other's long sides. That is crazy. 
I'd be terrified to see that in a room. Be like, wow. okay, uh, I'm going to leave now. Am I Am I in a cult? Are you worshiping? I know. Like, what's going <laughs> what's on happening? here? Am I in the wrong pants? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, and then to wrap up this 2010s decade, uh, we have yes. Isle of Dogs, which was another mm-hmm. Wes Anderson film. Um, yes. Again, it was marketed quite a bit. I've never seen it, um, but mm, I, the imagery right. is and is something that I'm familiar with. I looked at the poster for it. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen all, all sorts of stuff about this. I just never saw it. Um, yep. But all the dogs, obviously, there's lots of dogs in the film. Um, all the dogs, their wool is actually alpaca wool um, that they use. So they're all real individual hairs that were put in mm-hmm. there. Uh, from alpacas, and it helped give them the really distinct, unkempt look because they're there's yep. an island of dogs, and they're not hmm. house pets at all. Um, they're <laughs> all strays, and um, but yeah, it helps give them this really like gross, unkempt look to them, which I thought was it, cool. It's crazy to think about knowing knowing more about films now than I did. To think back to the trailers and to seeing clips and research, it makes perfect sense that Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs is Wes Anderson mm-hmm. because they look the same in the their display yeah but it it passed me would have never put that together it's mm-hmm. insane <laughs> yeah uh so now we're gonna go so, a little bit into um like where it's headed so we're gonna talk quickly about the three big studios that there are right now yes um and then also mm-hmm. just kind of go through the releases um so far the big the big box releases for um stop motion animation in the 2000s uh 2020s it, yes. <laughs> so the first uh studio is Ardman which is stop-motion and clay, ma- clay animation techniques in Bristol, England. Uh, they are the ones who brought you Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Flushed Away, which <laughs> actually is a um, CG, fully CGI film. It doesn't use claymation at all, but it is in the style of claymation. <laughs> uh, you have Arthur Christmas, The Pirates, and An Adventure with Scientists, Shaun the Sheep movie, Early Man, and several TV series <laughs> is... Uh, they actually got their start with a TV series, and it ran for many, many years. I don't remember the exact number, but that's cool. Armin Studios. Awesome. Uh, so there's another one called Shadow Machine. Um, mm-hmm. It's an animation and production studio mm-hmm. with offices in L.A. and in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, the the two biggest projects you've probably heard of is Pinocchio, the Guillermo, <laughs> Gu- Guillermo del Toro's um, adaptation, yes. reimagining, whatever, of Pinocchio, mm-hmm. which, again, I still not seen. I have to. Um, and then also Bojack Horseman. That's also Shadow Machine Project. Um, Interesting. And then they also just have tons of other recognizable projects um, that if you just scroll through and you're like, oh, I've seen that, oh, I've seen that, or oh, I've heard about that, yeah. or whatever. Um, that's them. So Shadow Machine does yep. a lot of stuff, too. Um, they, they dabble in claymation. I wouldn't say it's their primary um, yeah. format, but they do a lot Makes of animation sense. stuff. Yeah. Uh, last that we have on our list is Laika, which seems to be our favorite. Uh, is stop motion animation studio specializing in feature films, commercial content for all media, music videos, and short films in Hillsboro, Oregon. Which, they, when you think of a cool company like that, you're <laughs> like, "Wow, they must be so." They're in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing against Oregon, but yeah, they've made Coraline, Paranorman, The Box Trolls, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Missing Link, which was their newest film that yeah. we didn't have that on was our the list. Jackman but one, even yeah. still, mm-hmm, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those those are the three studios that seem very prevalent. Also, do you know the the thing about Leica and who it's owned by? Do tell. So I, I this was on TikTok the other day, but I found yep. out. So Leica keeps coming out with these beautiful these these beautiful feature length films that mm-hmm. are so focused on the art of the craft. Yep. 
And yep. regardless of how they do commercially, they're still coming out with new things. And so mm-hmm. it was like, okay. So obviously Coraline was a peak for them. How are they still doing these things and like losing, I, I think, cultural popularity, or at least they're yeah. not as much on the mainstream as they used to be. Correct. And they're spending so much money. So mm-hmm. they're owned by Nike. I did and see that. So. <laughs> it, they're brothers. The guy who runs Nike, his brother is the guy who runs Leica. And he's yep. just like, okay, brother here, have some money and make some stuff. There you go. And so it's yeah. literally his little play. It's a billionaire's playground. <laughs> Maybe not That's a billionaire. But at least it's a, it's a millionaire's no, playground. And they're like, That's they're crazy. not concerned about making profit uh, to a certain yeah. degree. Um, Correct. Because it's literally just for fun. It's a fun little for thing fun. that they can do because Nike pays for it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, you want to go play with Clay? Just do it. Yeah. Um. So, anyway. <laughs> but that, yeah, I did see that they were owned by that, but I, I thought it was person, but still, that's crazy. Yeah. That they're just like, yeah, we do it for fun. I'm like, but you, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, some movies that are co- upcoming and or have already happened that we didn't count in the 2000, two, 2010s category, Um, you have The Nose or The Conspiracy of Mavericks, which was in 2020. And then there's <laughs> Junkhead, which was 2021. Save Ralph in 2021. And then also Mad God in 2021, which looks scary mm-hmm. and fascinating. I know, right? <laughs> uh, then you have uh, Pinocchio in 2022. Mm-hmm. And then also The House, which was also 2022, mm-hmm. which I just watched on Netflix. Beautiful, fascinating. Oh, yes. I have to Great. I have to say that, so it's um it's an anthology film, so there's three different mm-hmm. films with three different directors, and they're all based <laughs> around this house. So the first one oh. is like when it was built, what happened. The second one is like when it's in its... Um, like modern day and then the third yeah. one is like when the world is falling apart climate change whatever yeah. Um, yeah. and it's beautiful gorgeous yeah. there's so many things to say um, uh, <laughs> one one like earlier on we were talking about how they were saying CGI is the new thing and the cotton wool is dead um, yeah. so this was the film that started like they were mixing things together so there's a lot of water in one of them and uh, in one of the three because it's climate change and it's flooding yeah. everywhere and this house mm-hmm. is on a mm-hmm. hill and there's only like three people left living in this house because everyone else is gone. Um, yep. And they don't know what else is out there. It's just water level is about to rise into the house. So mm. they're trying to figure out what to do. Crazy. Um, but the water that they use, it's a mixture of, of CGI, but they also use hair gel for a lot, mm. like for some puddles and things. And so they, they use um, a nice huh. mixture of techniques, which I thought was cool. Yeah. But anyway, that's watch the other that. thing is this, this takes insane creativity because I would have never thought to use hair gel. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Um, and then the last one we have on our list is some, a movie called The Inventor, which is coming out in this year, um, in twenty twenty three. Yeah, but th- that's kind of where it's going. It's not dead clearly, yeah, because it's beloved. The funny thing is, is realizing in doing our research and uh, displaying our research for the listeners today, is we are the nostalgic lovers of Clay Animation. But we haven't seen the new ones as much. So mm. I'm I, after doing all this research, I'm fascinated to go watch some of these. Yeah, and either pick up on the techniques and be like, "Oh, that's what they did." Yeah, or to be like, "Okay, that 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 that's a film." Yeah, and that's it why is what it is. That's so. why I went to watch the house because we were doing all this research. Yeah. I was like, "This is fascinating. I have to watch something on this list." Yes. so I went and watched the house, which was great. I'm gonna watch Pinocchio just because I heard it was fascinating. Yeah, so we should do that too. Mm. Um, let's talk about coffee. Yeah. I liked it. It's yeah. very smooth. The stone fruit and I don't, came I, out first. It was like, I, know. I was like, the first thing I noticed was all the fruit, specifically cherry. 
um, came out yeah. strongest to me. And I did something with this one. I tried to figure out what the notes might be, or at least the, the tasting mm-hmm. notes from the company before I looked. Um, yeah. And I was proud of myself because the stone fruit was the hey. first thing I got. I was like, there's a Huzzah. lot of cherry in it. And I looked and it said stone fruit. And I was like, yes. Um, yep. And then I, it says that there's also milk chocolate, which I definitely got a little bit of. Um, I didn't get the caramel I, I get so the much. I the chocolate on the aftertaste. I, I didn't get caramel either. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stone fruit, it must be just because my palate isn't used to it as much. Um, because uh, I just haven't eaten a lot of cherries in my life. Yeah. But that's definitely the taste that I am getting. So huzzah for you, learning moment for Woo-hoo! me. <laughs> but I like it. It's it's very smooth. Um, again, it's Crema Coffee Roasters here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can buy them on their website, um, which isn't on their bag. I'll put a link uh, to it in the show notes. Amazing. But uh, nice people, very nice coffee. So yeah. if you enjoy it. Let us know, yeah, because we did. Woohoo! Yeah. Also, if you can take a second, if you enjoyed this episode, go share it with somebody. Um, we please actually, I just am. I just took a second to check our viewer <laughs> stuff, and as of today, we are now over a thousand total <laughs> downloads. Yeah, so we hit the big one <laughs> k. Hit the hit the confetti yeah, button. Where is it? <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening uh, and getting us to a thousand. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, we're just happy to be doing this because this is really just for fun and we'd love to see this yeah. continue to grow. And um, here's to 10K. So go go yes. spread the 10K. word and, and send this episode to somebody Look. you think would like it or just send a link to the to the show to somebody you think who would enjoy the show. Um, but thanks for listening so far. And if you've come all this way yeah. to the very end of this episode, you like actually care and listen to the whole thing. You so, did it. wow, thank you so much <laughs> for that. <laughs> you get extra points. You get, you get hugs from both of us whenever you extra see us points. Next, so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, this was fascinating. If you have any thoughts or loved it, let us know. Um, we both were just fascinated with the uh, subject of claymation, but to learn that it was so many different rabbit holes and so much more to it mm-hmm. um, was really fun for me, and I know it was for you too, Easton to just learn and that's what we love doing on the episodes yes. and for this podcast so thanks for sticking around thanks for coming to the end <laughs> let's get to 10k and always remember be good beans and drink good beans everyone be those beans have a good one yeah be the bean yeah, bye everybody Artists Blend theme music was written and produced by Christopher and Sarah Bailey of Well Wishes Productions, a Nashville-based boutique production company specializing in multimedia production, live event contracting, studio, and live vocals. Find Incognita's infamous adventures on Amazon Prime and its soundtrack on all digital platforms.